inspiration to us. The revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ is God revealing himself to man. Praise God. We're thrilled today to have Brother Woodson with us. He is the superintendent of the United Pentecostal Church, Washington District. And over the many years has been a friend. I have enjoyed through coming up on 35 years maybe of our acquaintance and participating together through the years in a lot of different district meetings. I have a, an appreciation. I have an appreciation as I have observed Brother Woodson follow the leading of the Holy Ghost in meeting after meeting after meeting and to be powerfully used of God in communicating the things of the Spirit because that which is of the Spirit not only is Spirit but will be and produce into our lives. The ministry of the Spirit will produce a spiritual work. And we have observed this through the years. We are thrilled that he is here. Amen. Is our invitation in reference to his highest calling. A man of God. Brother Woodson, please come take your liberty. Amen. Praise the Lord, everyone. It is such an honor to be asked to be here with your bishop, elder team, uh, elder Hart, and now elder Flowers. I'm really praying for Lauren, Lauren here. Lauren, right? Yeah. My daughter-in-law is Lorene, so I've got to make sure I'm saying the right Laura here. So, amen. What's that? Lauren. See? I kind of do the same thing. Hey, you works for me as long as it, you don't miss dinner, you're okay, right? I do want to say, though, I am really, really disappointed. Really disappointed. Used to be on Yakima Avenue, a really good taco place. Brother and Sister Schoonover years ago owned that. For those of you that are young and you don't know real good Mexican food, sorry, your chance is over. Amen. But, and I'm a lover of that, believe me. It is really an honor to be asked to come and speak today, and um, I am very excited about the work that's taking place in the Life Church, both last month I was privileged to speak to the West Side, and here I am at your unity meeting on the East Side, and this is tremendous. Um, I will, for full disclosure, let you know that I'm really an East Side boy, even though I pastor on the West Side. I am. I grew up throughout the East Side, Moses Lake, Bridgeport, East Wenatchee, Spokane. Those were all my growing up days. And um, so I, I, I just want you to know, when the sun shines on the east, West Side, I feel like I'm on the East Side. When it rains, which is most of the time, I'm wishing I was on the East Side. So it's, uh, it, it's always an honor to be here with you wonderful people. What a great, great representation of what God is doing. You are the direct representation of what God is doing. I love what Paul said. 
He said, you are my crown and rejoicing. You in Christ Jesus. In other words, he said, the work that God did through the ministry that he gave Paul, you are the proof of it. What God is doing here, you are the proof that God is involved. Not only involved, God is the one running it. He's just, he's just using us, all of those that have been involved in your life. He's using you in that process. And it's very important to never forget that. That God is predominant. Not only is there one God, not only is his name Jesus, not only is he a spirit, but he is running the show, if you'll allow the term. And must always. Amen. And he gifts us with so many things. But this afternoon, or let's see, this afternoon where my daughter lives, so I'll say this afternoon. But I want to, uh, I feel very much directed and sometimes I was talking with Pastor or Bishop Seagraves, or Bishop Seagraves, too many names. We just came from the men's conference, and Brother Seagraves was running that. So, but anyway, I was speaking with your bishop yesterday, and I uh, uh, I mentioned how that on last week I taught about prayer, and I got to the first verse, and I threw my notes away, so to speak, and God did the rest. I, I feel very clear today, though, to follow my notes because I'm 65, almost 66, and I need all the help I can get. But these notes were written for you. I, this is not number 57 times 57 times. This, this is for you. God, I believe, gave me a message for you. Okay? Please understand that. Amen. I learned a long time ago I'm not called to be an evangelist, of which I rejoice. I, I like being who I am, doing what God wants me to do. I'd like to turn your attention to two settings of Scripture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and Psalm 139, if you'd like to turn to those. It's good to see Sister Jester. We love Sister Jester, Brother Jester. I know he's been battling some physical issues, and we're praying for them both. We love them many, many, many years on the old clock, so to speak. I was that young tenderfoot with wet behind my ears, asked to be served as district secretary, and spent many of those years on that board with Brother Jester, dear friend, a man I have always, always loved and admired. And by the way, Sister Jester, we have eight grandchildren now, so... Sister Woodson has some stories to tell you, too, okay? Amen. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 23 and 24. Would you like to stand and honor the Word of God? That's fine. I don't know what your tradition is, uh, but if you'll allow me, um, I surely don't want to be a stumbling block in any way. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. W-H-O-L-L-Y. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calls you who also will do it. There's a lot said in two verses. Psalm 139, verses 13 to 18. 
For thou hast possessed my thoughts, reigns. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows right well. My substance was not hid from you. When I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in your book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are your thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Amen. If there's a title needed, I will call this Blameless Grace. Blameless Grace. Lord, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for these wonderful, wonderful people. Thank you for the honor, Lord, to stand in the pulpit next to men whom you've called to fill this, to lead this group. Your vessels, Lord. Help me, Lord God, to add to that honor today. Hallelujah. Thank you for your presence right now as we unite together as your body in Jesus' name. Please turn to your neighbor and say, God's grace is sufficient. Amen. And then please be seated. God bless you. Again, I want to honor your elders here that uh, oversee this part of the great life work, life church. Um, I am so excited to see, not just here, but to see what God is doing. And uh, I know this has been a long process. And it will continue because God is in it. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thankfully, God doesn't rise and fall with like we do as human beings. He is consistent. One thing that uh, we've discovered of the many, many multitude of attributes of God is the fact that <clears throat> even when he came to us, God had specific plans in mind. He said, the psalmist said it this way. He said, we are fearfully and wonderfully, the word wonderfully could also be called distinctly, made. We heard the term, certain unique individuals that when God made them, he threw the mold away. So there was just uniqueness to them. Well, that's really true for every one of us. Every one of us are unique. We don't fall into the back or go into the forefront. We're unique in the purpose and plan and desire of God. And so he said, we are fearfully and distinctly made. He said, my members, this body, were fashioned as well as what's in this body, this, this character, was fashioned before my substance was made. And then he said this phrase, I was made and you were made in secret. In secret. Again, we're not part of an assembly line here. We have unique abilities. I know that we are emotional beings, and so we have our highs and our lows. And sometimes we feel more free, if you'll allow that bad English for a moment, but we feel more able, more liberated, if you will, to <clears throat> identify in positive things. But we also have our seasons when we stand back with regrets, with memories, barriers to things that our life have portrayed or gone through and we are unfortunately reminded in our weaker moments. 
But God said, I knew you'd be that way. I put that into you when I made you. The ability to remember and the ability to consider and the ability to display that which God in secret put together. The Proverbs writer said this in 25.2. He said, it is the glory of God to conceal a thing. But the honor or the glory of kings to search out a matter. From creation, God revealed his concealed secret. Man, this was it. Man was to be made in his image, his image. And after his likeness. It's an amazing thing when you think about this. At just first glance, you might say that he was being redundant. Image, likeness, you would think that means the same thing. But with deeper investigation, it appears that God is revealing some things about what he did with each one of us when he took us out of that dust of the ground and breathed into our nostrils the breath of life and we became a living soul. When God looked at us individually and said, I've made some uniqueness in you that I want to display because God with his multiplicity of attributes, let us make man was not speaking of Father, Son, Holy Ghost, three persons having a discussion. It was not even God speaking to angels, in my opinion. But the us was his multitude of attributes. And each one of us are so important in the displaying of those attributes that he calls us members of one body of which he is the head, but members in particular. We must be the ones who... Fill that role that God created you and I specifically in secret, one at a time, if you will, with uniqueness, a beautiful uniqueness, his uniqueness, his image, his likeness. Praise God. The Bible makes clear this pattern of his image is the man Christ Jesus. Listen to Colossians 1, verse 15 to 19. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities. Notice all of these attributes of God. Thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all things were created by him And for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Now, let me summarize this. Here's the secret that we were made in. The secret is that Jesus is the firstborn of the living and he is the firstborn from the dead. And I hope you catch that. Well, it's important that we know he's the firstborn of the living and that we identify with his characteristics. But the firstborn from the dead? Colossians or Corinthians says it this way. If Christ be not raised from the dead, then we are yet in our sins. The fact is, is that he being the firstborn of the dead, just as he is the pattern for mankind in God's divine overall plan, 
Even so, he's the pattern for eternal mankind and God's overall destination for man. That's why God decided that in him should all fullness dwell. He is the beginning of creation. He is the beginning of eternal life. In that same 139 of Psalms in verse now number 6, David, thinking about all that he uh, considered of the great things that God has done, including fearfully and wonderfully made, notice what he says in verse 6. They can pop that on the screen. He said, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I can't attain. I cannot rationalize this in my finite human mind, in my limited ability as a human being. Therefore, I've got to look at the eternal side to even grasp what God had in mind when he made me individual secretly as one part of his great body and his great purpose. Let me stop here a moment and just say that this message is for everyone individually today. So this isn't a collective message. This is an individual message. And I will tell you, the preacher usually preaches to himself before he preaches to anyone else. It's probably a good thing to do. And most often you can find that if he hasn't, he gets a little bit self-righteous. You need to. No, I need to. And so he goes on to say that these things are just too wonderful for me. I, I, I can't figure God, well, me, a small part and yet an important part. Now, man doesn't think this way. In his normal ways, what man tries to do is discover the attributes of man, not the attributes of God. And so in life's details, science does what it can. For instance... Science has discovered some 60 chemical elements found in the human body. And most of them, they have no idea what it does. But they have taken about 20 of them and identified them. Let me just quickly identify them. Some that you're familiar with and some may be new to you. Oxygen. Everybody thank God for oxygen. Amen? Oxygen is 65% of the body. Hydrogen, 10%. And they work together into most often in the form of water, which is 60% of the human body by weight. Carbon is 18%. It's the key of life. It is that which connects. It's the sites. Those of you in the medical field understand what binding sites are. They are the sites that unite all these other things that take place in each of us. They're important. God said, okay, we're going to put this part of oxygen in this human. I'm going to put this part of hydrogen, this part of carbon. Nitrogen makes up our DNA. Calcium, it's more than the bones and teeth. It actually regulates body functions. Phosphorus, which of course is not only predominantly in the bone, but provides energy in cells for driving chemical reactions, potassium, important electrolyte. It carries that charge, that electrical charge that maintains a balanced heartbeat. And when you're low on it, you know it. 
And then there is sulfur. Two amino acids important in giving proteins their shape. Sodium, an electrolyte that is used in the electrical signaling in nerves. Regulates the amount of body, water in the body. When you have problems with sodium, you'll notice if you're dehydrated, that's something that they will give you intravenously. Chlorine. It's an electrolyte for maintaining a normal balance of fluids. Magnesium. The important role in the structure of the skeleton and muscles. You ever had a Charlie horse? Magnesium is going to help you with that. Iron. No, I am not a doctor. No, I am not even a whatever they call them that give you drugs but don't have a license. <laughs> I'm just reading it from the paper, okay? Stay with me. Iron is a key element in the metabolism of almost all living organisms. It also found in hemoglobin, which carries oxygen to the body. If you're iron deficient, you'll be wore out. Part of the reason is because the oxygen is not going to your body like it needs it. Fluorine found in teeth and bones. Other than that, they have no idea what it does. Zinc. It's a trace element for all forms of life. Several Proteins contain structure called zinc fingers, which help regulate the genes in the body. Down to the smallest detail, copper. Without copper, iron won't work properly in the body. And as you consider, copper in wires probably got their notoriety from copper in the human body. It's carrying the electric charge, if you will, to the rest of the body. Iodine, required for making thyroid hormones, which regulate metabolic rate and cellular functions. Selenium, essential for certain enzymes, antioxidants, but you can take too much and be poisoned by it. So God gives 0.000019%, at least the scientists think so, although they don't say God did it. Chromium helps regulate sugar levels by interacting with insulin, but they still don't know all that it does. Manganese, essential for certain enzymes, in particular those that protect the mitochondria, the place where usable energy is generated uh, inside cells from dangerous, keeps us from dangerous oxidants. Molybdenum, it's an essential, essential to vir virtually all life forms. In humans, it's important for transferring the sulfur into a usable form. Cobalt, how many of you have heard the term cyanocobalamin? You know what that is? B12. Why don't you just say B12? I just did, okay? It's contained in B12, which is important, B12, which is important in protein formation and DNA regulation. And that's just 20 of the 60 that they think they can identify in this finely detailed thing called your and my body. I'm not teaching a health class here. Well, I am, but not that kind. I want you to understand today, and I pray that God helps me to understand it each day, that he has a bigger picture in mind for you as an individual than probably each of us ever consider that God might have a bigger plan in mind for me and wanting to do through me than I ever thought possible. In searching, mankind has discovered all of these things important to natural existence, and yet none of these identify our eternal relationship with God. 
But Paul, I like what he says. He says, I know that in my flesh, that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. He didn't say these things were derogatory to our human existence, these 20 things I'd listed to you. But neither did he say that they are beneficial for an eternal purpose. And so he says in Ephesians chapter uh, 4, probably chapter 2, he says these words, For by grace are you saved. He's talking about an eternal relationship. For by grace you enter into eternal relationship through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is not a human manufactured thing. You know that the biggest enemy we have in this thing called being and doing the will of God is me, myself. And I know that in it dwells no good. I have to consider the fact that it has really nothing to do with, on its own, prospering God's purpose. And yet God, in his foresight, looked at me and said, I'll still make you this way, but I have a bigger cause than the survival and the daily function of my human existence. God looks at us and says, I've got a bigger plan in mind individually for each of you. Don't sell yourself short for a moment here. Some of you probably are battling right now in your thoughts saying, yeah, you don't know me. It doesn't matter if I know you. I couldn't do anything for you anyway. So just throw that excuse out the window. And if you allow me to be a little bit bold here, just get out of your pity party, okay? Why don't you just take for the fact that God said, I've made you the way I made you, and I got plans for you, so quit getting in my way. So he says, it's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works. Why? Because we'll boast about it. Amen. The, inc- the key ingredient in victorious Christian living is solely found outside of this body. It's only in the grace of God. I'm going to help you understand what grace is. Theologians, I think, have simplified in their perspective what grace is. I'm sorry. It's an obvious that anything we get for God, we're unworthy of. So for someone to say grace is unmerited favor is a given. We know that we don't deserve it. We know that we don't qualify. If we stand face to face with the Holy God, all of our weaknesses and all of our failures are exposed. All things are open and naked before him with whom we have to do. He knows what he even knows our intentions before it clicks. That's right. He knows the path that I take. The details of it. You can't get ahead of him. So please don't rationalize with him and say, you know, God, (laughs) I think you're going to make an exception for me. You're already getting in the way of what he made in secret. That secret plan and that divine purpose that he had with you, each one of you, each one of you, myself included, that divine plan he has for us on a daily basis is not intellectually empowered. I can appeal to you with absolute uh, arguments that possibly you could not argue, but that's not going to change who I am and who you are. But the grace of God is something that comes from 
beyond my ability to convince, beyond my ability to direct, beyond my ability to influence. It comes from a divine plan that says, I'm going to not only speak to you, but when you respond, I'm going to give you the ability to do. Because that's really what grace is all about. Isaiah prophesied, even, in the, even when he prophesied of Jesus in his humanity, he said, he has no form nor comeliness, and we shall see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. It's, it's, it's not the body. The body isn't what's most important here. It's not the physical. It's not the visual. He had a body. And he always did those things that please his father. And so he was able to say, even in the worst day of, his, of, of human existence, not as I will, but as I will. He was able to do all that because he realized, he realized from the outset that the son could do nothing of himself. Paul said, this is an important statement. He said, Second uh, Corinthians five sixteen. Please throw that up there. Second Corinthians five sixteen. I love this statement because this brings together what uh, what Isaiah saw in prophecy. He said, "Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh? Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now and from this point on we know him no more." Some might say, why don't you guys have a, you know, like a plastic Jesus on the dashboard of your car? A glow-in-the-dark Jesus picture. A cross on your, you know. We know what he did for us. The scripture says he died once. I don't want to put him back on that cross. But what he did and what he, what he continues to do is not a flesh thing. It's a spirit thing. It's an eternal thing. It's a relationship. Identify. That's what God had planned when he formed him. Why do you see so early in the scriptures that when man sinned, he made a way? He said, the serpent will bruise his heel. He will bruise his head. Why there was the first sacrifice identified in the scriptures was the skins that clothed Adam and Eve. That blood was going to be shed, and that's why Cain missed it and Abel saw it. The process of the one who was the pattern and is the pattern, not only for this natural birth, but for eternal birth, has always got to be the first. That's why he holds or that role of preeminence. That's why he is in control of the body. That's why he is the head of the church. Yet we don't see him in his flesh. We see him in his eternal purpose. We see him in eternal purpose, meaning in the spirit. May I say that when we are attempting to reach people with the gospel... If we look on their face, we might or might not speak to them. But Jesus sends us 
to look at their, what they will be, not what they are. So he tells us, look in their spirit. Jesus is here. So he said, we don't know him anymore after the flesh. Thank God. John in his gospel did not emphasize Christ's physical body. He emphasized Christ's spirit and soul. He said, Jesus is full of grace and truth. John 1, 14 and 17. He said, Jesus gives grace for grace. John 1, 16. And Paul concluded and defined grace this way. Philippians 2.13, for it is God which worketh in you, both to will, that means desire, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So the desire and power God gives us to do his will is what grace is. I'm going to say it slower. The desire and the power God gives you and me to do his will is what grace is. He is the source of it. And notice he says, not only do I give you grace, but when you respond, I'll give you more grace. To do more that in that pathway that God leads us. This is why Peter, Mr. Kneejerk himself, the one that's most like us, He said, but grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. His last words before he was crucified upside down. Grow in grace. Understand that God is the author and God is the finisher. And God is all points in between. He is in him dwells all the fullness of. Of God's ability. And we are complete only in him. He's the head of all hindrances. And all positions. All principalities. And all powers. Everything we are. Everything we do. Everything we are to become is discovered and empowered through God's eternal likeness, which is grace. And we are made in his image and after his likeness, his grace. Woo! Do you know what that means? That means that we are made to respond to the desire and the power of God to do his will. We were made to do that. We weren't made to resist it. We weren't made to analyze it. We weren't made to make, make it all, all make sense. Jesus walking on the water while the disciples are struggling in the boat. Made as if he would pass by, one writer says. Peter calls out, Lord, if it's really you, bid me to come. And grace says, come. And he responds. And he walks on water. 
But the moment that he doesn't look anymore, the moment his eyes are no longer on him, he sinks. Oh, my word. That's an encapsulated picture of what we're talking about right now. The moment that we decide that the circumstances in life are too big for us, that's why we sink. But when our mind and our heart is completely on him, when we got our eyes on the author and finisher, the grace giver himself, the one who gives grace for grace, then we walk through the impossible, through the most difficult. It don't matter what gets in our way. It doesn't matter what's standing before us. I can run through a troop and I can leap over a wall, David said. Why? Because there's innate in me this likeness of God called grace. Not naturally. Please don't misunderstand. God created me to be a, just like there are binding sites in a human body that causes various things that we need to take a hold in cells. Even so, it is more so supernaturally. God has made us the source of which he sends his Grace to work in and through us. Wow. I told your bishop last night, I said, sometimes I preach and I get revelation while I'm preaching. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now, there's an important aspect on the release of this. And I'm going to go back to our key verse here. He says, the very God of peace sanctify you holy. The word sanctification is separation. Now, separation has been defined because of human rationale to only mean, even though it should not be set aside, but to only mean, we in Pentecostal circles sometimes call it standards. As if as a substitute thing that God will accept, therefore we ought to be the ones that Now, God doesn't remove the need for separation from the world. He says, come out from among them. Be separate, sanctified. Touch not the unclean thing. But that does not mean that when I do that, therefore now I've earned the right to be spiritually anointed. No, when we got that mind, we've got a bigger problem. It's called self-righteousness. The Bible says that his commandments are not grievous. When God talks to us to do something, we shouldn't struggle with the fact that there's some changes that need to come in my life. Before I came to Christ, I had to give some things to him and realize that he didn't like some of those things. And I got rid of them because it didn't please him. Then I found out later that's not what Christians do. Any, I mean, Christians shouldn't do that anyway. I had no idea. I just knew it didn't please him. When you want to walk with God in his fullness, then you want to set aside that which keeps you from walking in his fullness. When it's part of you, you don't look for excuses. You don't look for exceptions. You certainly don't let outside sources convince you that because you're part of a bigger picture in some little, some little spot in, in the world, therefore you're justified. 
That sounds as bad as the guys that I used to hang out with before I was saved that said, well, I'm not afraid of going to hell. All my friends are going there too. As if we're going to have one big party when we go to hell. Except the scripture says it's where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Doesn't sound like a party to me. I'm going to tell you, my friend, I'm not saved by other people's opinions. I'm saved by my obedience and submission to the will and purpose of God. Day in and day out. That's why I walk by faith and not by sight. I've got to let that grace have full control in my life for me to see what he fully plans to do through my life. That's what changes your and my destiny. And as good old Zig Ziglar said, sometimes you just got to get rid of that stinking thinking. Have a checkup from the neck up. So God's ultimate purpose in us is whole sanctification. You got scripture for that preacher? Thanks for asking. I do. King David understood his need for blameless grace before it was ever defined in Scripture. Here's two examples. 2 Samuel chapter 5, beginning with verse 18. This is in the dealing with, in, the ba- in battle, physical in his day, but it can directly relate to prayer this day. But when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines came up, to seek David, and David heard of it and went down to the hold. He went to the prayer room. The Philistines also came and spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Huh, here's this guy with a tremendous army who's already had a lot of good victories, and he goes to the prayer room and instead of saying, Boys, we got this. Human nature would say, Boys, we got this. David said, Lord, shall I go up to the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said, answered, go up. I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. And David came to Baal Perism. And David smote them there and said, the Lord has broken forth upon my enemies before me. He didn't say, look what I have done. Look what I have done. No. He's saying, he was the first one that coined that verse, or chorus, by the way. Look what the Lord has done. The Lord has broken forth upon my enemies as the breach of waters. Therefore, he called the name of that place Baal Perism, and he didn't stop there. There, the Philistines left their images, and David and his men burned them. You know why they burned them? Two reasons. Number one is because they knew it was idolatry and there was only one God. But the second reason was that they wanted no memory of supposedly another God. So they wouldn't dare bring that into their house. So they wouldn't dare bring back man. Remember how great it was when we used to party? Remember how great it was when we used to, when we used to, when we used to. They burned them. They burned them. Brother, you don't just take a pile of ashes and say, man, look at this. What it looks like ashes. 
You let the ashes stay in the ground, that's carbon. It's good for life. Just leave it there. That's exactly what they did. That's why they did that. But they didn't stop there. Listen to verses 22 to 25. And the Philistines came up yet again. They didn't stop. You burn my images. We're coming back. And they did. They spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim. And when David inquired of the Lord, he said, you shall not go up. But God, we wasted them last time. We can do this. We figured them out. God said, nope. It wasn't you that did it. But fetch a compass behind them. Get behind them. Sneak up on their blind side. Come upon them over against the mulberry trees. And let it be when you hear the sound of a going or the wind moving the tops of the mulberry trees, then you shall bestir yourself. Then shall the Lord go out before you to smite the host of the Philistines. And David did so as the Lord commanded him and smote the Philistines from Geba until thou come to Gezer. Let me summarize these two verse settings. David prayed. God directed. David obeyed. God delivered. Can I say it again? David prayed. God directed. David obeyed. God delivered. Here's what Paul said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 10. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down reasonings, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and brings into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And in case you have a setback, then he says, you, you continue on until you've revenged the setback. Whew. We don't walk in this flesh. We don't war in this flesh. When, flesh. when flesh submits to his spirit, flesh battles. Spirit becomes victory. Victorious, pardon me, over the flesh. Amen. There's... Paul said in 1 Corinthians, I've, I've got to read this one. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26, 31. I hope you're patient. I drove a long way to be here today, so don't fall asleep on me, all right? <laughs> For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, hmm, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised as God chosen ye, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification, separation and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glories, let him glory in the Lord. If the flesh, gets, if the flesh is the source of glorying, we've missed it. And God is very jealous. He will not share his glory with any human being. He will not. But when we do, 
Here's another thing, identity of grace in David. First, this is Psalm 51 and a smattering of verses 1 to 3, 9 to 13, and 17. You got that, guys? He says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me. David comes to the conclusion through repentance that God is the only source of creating. Now, what we do is we say, I'm sorry, God. I blew it. I got mad. I thought wrong thoughts. I did a dumb thing. Said something. And so we feel better that we told him. But we stop, I believe, short too often. Because though we're forgiven, we don't let him create something in us. So he says, create in me a Pure heart. That word clean is actually pure in the Hebrew. And renew a, right, a perfect spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with your free spirit. And then will I teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Then he says in the last verse, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Verse 17, O God, thou will not despise. Wow. That's a demonstration of the grace of God. He is asking for ability beyond his limitation. And God gives it to him. Because in the book of Acts, it says David was a man after God's own heart. And even though he failed miserably in a few areas, his repentance was a total change process. And he knew God must be absolutely in it. It wasn't enough to say, I'm sorry. It wasn't enough to say, I repent. It wasn't enough even to cry a few tears and make pledges to never make that mistake again. I need you to change me, God. As King David's life was empowered through his submission, even so my complete submission to his grace will empower his will in my sanctified life and through my life. Listen to what he says in Titus chapter 1, and, or pardon me, chapter 2, verse 1 and then 11 to 15. Here, Paul is instructing Titus, and he says, Speak the things which become sound doctrine. Included in that is this. For the grace of God, verse number 11, that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, sanctification, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope, our focus is not, see, I accomplished this, I should be all right. My focus is looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and 
purify unto himself a peculiar, a separated people, zealous of good works. And then he says to Titus again, these things speak, exhort, rebuke with all authority and let no man despise you. The grace of God that brings salvation is the grace of God that allows us to get our past behind us and allows his power that raised us up to raise others up through his work in us. No kingdom of God accomplishment can ever succeed unless it is grace-inspired and grace-empowered. I'm going to say that again. No kingdom of God accomplishment can ever succeed unless it is grace-inspired and grace-empowered. This is true in divine encounters. Discipling anyone to Christ requires his grace intervening on their part and submission to his grace on our part. See, so grace isn't just a maintainer. It's not just the favor of God. Grace is the ability for me to put behind me what hindered me and yet to be a vessel that God can use so somebody else can put behind them what hindered them. Grace for grace. Full of grace and truth. Fear not, I'm getting near done. This is also true in answered prayers. Grace quickens us to pray. Grace appears for those of whom we pray. Grace brings salvation. Grace brings answers to prayer, the power to change, to power to live saved. Grace is involved in it all. I am convinced, and if this is different than what your pastor feels, forgive me and please listen to what your pastor says. But I am convinced that when we pray, when something comes in our heart to pray, we didn't think of it ourselves. I believe that the Spirit of God, through the grace of God, has said, let's see if you're going to respond to this need I'm putting on your heart. And when I respond, boom. That's why the John says in 1 John, he says, and we know. That if we ask anything of him, that he will do it. We know that he will hear us. And whatever petitions we ask, he will do. You see, we pray too often, I think, as human beings, and wonder if God's going to do it. But when God puts something in our heart, not selfish designs. Lord, let somebody win the lottery and give me their money. That's not that kind of thing. But we're talking about... We're talking about God saying to each of us, I put this on your heart. And you, Remember that person you haven't thought about a long time? When that person comes to your mind, God's got a reason for it. It's not the long-term working good because you're getting old. It's because God puts something on your heart, and he's ready for you to enter in through that door and see what heaven will do. Grace quickens us to pray. Grace appears for those of whom we pray. Grace brings salvation. If God started it, God will finish it. Isn't that what we read in our, in our text today? Isn't that what he said? He said, faithful is he that calls you, who also will do it. When God speaks, he is saying to you and I, 
This is going to happen. You're just part of the process. That's what grace for grace is in action. This is the reason God sanctifies, separates to him our whole spirit, soul, and body. And this is why it is calling, our calling, to preserve our born-again lives blameless unto his coming. We must be in the position where we don't give options. I tell my church, many, the church I pastor many times, live a zero-option life. No exceptions. Remember, if God before us, who can be against us? Live a zero-option life. Don't make room for exceptions. If God is faithful who starts things to finish it, should not we then be in that process by being faithful to allow him to finish what he started? Amen. The reason God sanctifies, this is the reason God sanctifies, separates us to him, our whole spirit and soul. But that's why we sanctify ourselves to him, our whole spirit, soul, and body, blameless, blameless. This is why it is our calling to reserve, preserve our born-again lives, blameless unto his coming. Here, I'm closing with this, Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Just in case you need a little bit more to understand what God's plan is. In Romans 8, verse 29, he said, For whom God did foreknow, them he also did predestinate this way, to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn, the first created, the eternal image of God among many brethren. That's why we can say in the previous verse that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. It's, it's, not, it's not a blind, I wonder what I'm going to do next now that I'm saved relationship. It's waiting on him. And when he speaks, I respond. Remember, Jesus said, I always do those things that please my father. The son can do nothing of himself. What he sees the father do, that's what he does. Grace. Grace for grace. Full of grace and truth. Why didn't Jesus fail? Because he is the embodiment of total submission and total obedience to a walk with God, the author the finisher, the grace giver, the power. That's why we pray daily. That's why we bring this body under subjection. That's why we fast and pray. That's why we leave our house as a light to the world and as the salt to the earth. That's why we are empowered to be witnesses unto him. All of these things were a reflection of his grace. We are a vessel of his grace. And the minute we respond, God gives us the power to do what his grace designed us to do. I am deeply impressed and blessed 
to see what the Lord is doing in the life churches. I mentioned at the beginning, I want to say it again because I want you to understand I mean it. But I'm going to tell you what it was. It was the earnest desire from the beginning of the leadership to wholly follow the Lord. Grace comes to every person, not just leadership, when you desire to wholly follow the world. Did you know that that word holy in the Greek is the same word of H-O-L-Y? Same word. Holy, holy. Whole, holy. I pray you preserve your whole spirit, soul, and body blameless because God is holy that's why Peter could say be ye holy for I am holy be whole be the vessel be the vessel last setting of scripture if you'd like to stand It's easy to preach to you folks. I heard no snoring through the entire message. That was great. I could tell you some stories. Bishop Schoonover mentioned 35 years. We just finished 37 years as pastor of Vancouver. I'm aiming for 100. No. I'm aiming for whatever the Lord desires. One of the most well-known psalms is the 23rd Psalm. Please listen carefully when I emphasize, I'm going to read all six verses, but I want to emphasize what the Lord who is our shepherd does. So he starts off by saying, I shall not want. That means, that means I don't want to get in his way. He's my shepherd. He is wholly able to take care of everything. So then he says in verse 2, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I can walk through the valley of the shadow of death without fear because you, Lord... It becomes personal. You are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. You, God, prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You, God, anoint my head with oil. That's why my cup runs over. And I can come to this conclusion. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. All the days of my life. I don't know if the psalmist understood what he was saying in a bigger picture. But I think David had a great understanding without maybe ever even knowing the word. Of what grace really was. That God is not negligent to lead us to fulfill the needs 
So Jesus said in, in Matthew, he said, don't worry about what you're going to eat, where you're going to sleep, what you'll wear. Your father knows all those things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Would you lift your hands with me and surrender like I'm trying to right now? When grace dominates, fear disappears. Nothing will separate me from his plan. Nothing will separate me from his will. Nothing will separate me from his ability except me. The only thing that ever stopped Jesus in his earthly ministry was unbelief on the part of those that he came to. It's the only thing that stops the miracle. But you aren't unbelievers here. You're here because you are believers. You're here. That's right. You are. You are in an imperfect position for grace to do things you never even dreamed he would do through you. Just make sure you do one thing. This is the one thing he asks. That we walk blameless. That's all. So Paul said, I keep under my body and I bring it into subjection. Lest after I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. I don't necessarily mean that means that he goes down the road of total rejection. I think it means that he had the heart that Jesus had. I always want to do what pleases my father. Could we just respond to grace right now? You may be here today and you're struggling with something. You came looking for an answer today and God has brought that answer to you. But faith demands me to do something about what I've just heard. What I'm facing, what I'm going through, and what I'm dealing with. I want to open this altar right now that we could respond to Him. If you need grace in your life, the grace of God is right here. Why don't you come receive grace, the, the answer you need, the thing you're looking for, what God's trying to do in your life. Maybe you're doubting that I can do what God called me to do. There's grace. Come on, His grace is sufficient today. You may be struggling. You say, I don't, I don't know if I could live for God. It's so hard. Not if you let the grace of God work in your life. Come on, let's, let's allow the Holy Ghost to speak to our hearts this morning. Oh, God. Thank you for grace this morning. That's it. Come on. Come on, let God grant grace unto you this morning. 
Your response won't be unto a man, but my responding is to the Almighty God who's calling you, who's leading you this morning. Oh, yes, He is. Come on, yes, He is. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me this morning. Come on. Oh, yes, I can. Yes, I can. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, yes, that's it. Come on. Beautiful. Come on. Come on. Our response to God today. Oh, yes, Lord. Oh, yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Grace. If it is appropriate, I want you to pray for that person next to you right now. Come on. They may be going through a struggle. There may be a, a difficult time in their life right now. But just reach over and lay hands on them and just begin to pray. Let the Spirit of God lead you right now. Come on, let that Spirit uh, let you pray what God wants to do in their heart and in their life right now. Come on, that's it. Come on, that's it. Beautiful. Come on. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, you're more than enough this morning, God. Where would I be? Oh, 
In the name of Jesus, come on, we're continuing to pray. The Lord's moving on many of your hearts and you're not sure what to do with what you're feeling as the Spirit of God is moving on you. I want to encourage you to keep reaching the Holy Ghost. In Hebrews chapter 10, the Holy Ghost is called the Spirit of Grace. The Lord Jesus will fill you with the baptism of the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's the Spirit of Grace. That Spirit of Grace leads you and guides you and instructs you. Come on, you've made statements like, I want to make right choices, but I still make wrong ones. The Holy Ghost will enable you to make right choices. That's the Spirit of Grace in your life, operating, working, and flowing. Come on, if you need the Holy Ghost today, would you lift your hands and heart toward God and surrender? Say, Lord, here I am. Express yourself to Him. Here I am, God. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Saints of God, be sensitive to those reaching. Let the Lord use you in prayer. Father, we reach to you. It is you. The promise of the Father comes from you. We receive of you today. I pray the Spirit of grace into the heart of the repentant. I pray the Spirit of grace imparted today as only you can. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. We take authority over condemnation. We loose the gift of forgiveness that comes from you alone, God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Praise God. Hear me today. If you're praying, that's fine. But hear me, please. We do not have to beg for grace. We don't beg for grace. Grace is freely given. Brother Woodson said it. We pray. We're directed by God. We obey. And God delivers. Paul said we are saved by 
grace through faith. Not of yourselves. It is the... Anybody finish that verse? It is the gift of God. You ever had to beg for a gift? That wasn't a gift if you were begging. We are saved by grace through faith. It is the gift of God. Grace is given, then faith is required. Faith is the acting on the imparted grace. Faith is, that's not works, that's obedience to grace that you received. Grace through faith, that's what saves you. Anybody want to be saved? You're saved by grace through faith. There's action that's required. It's not this easy believism. And I know Brother Woodson made it clear that it wasn't easy believism. It's grace through faith. We read Hebrews chapter 11. It's the chapter of the heroes of faith. By faith, Noah prepared an ark. By faith, Abraham offered his only son, Isaac. Hold on a minute. Where did the idea to build an ark come from? I, I thought it was faith. I thought he just stepped out in faith. Where did the idea for Abraham to offer Isaac come from? I thought he just stepped out in faith. He did. Abraham stepped in faith. Noah stepped in faith. Their faith was grace given by God. God's grace gave Noah the plans for an ark and said, build it. Noah acted in grace. That was faith. Faith was, I've heard from God. God's grace spared me from being destroyed and gave me a plan of salvation. Now Noah had to act in faith based on the grace that had been given him by God. God could have gave Noah a plan for an ark. And Noah could have said, God, that's a beautiful plan. Thank you for your grace. Now save me. And Noah and his family would have died in the flood. Because grace without faith will not save you. Somebody needs to hear this this morning. You are saved by grace through faith. It's the gift of God. Abraham was told to offer his only son, Isaac. That took grace. He wasn't capable of doing that himself. But his relationship with God was more important to him than the promise of God. And so in obedience, that's faith. He took the word of God, and you can read it later on in the New Testament. Abraham had faith. That I'm going to obey the word of God that came to me through grace. And if this is God's word and he knew that it was. Then God will raise my son from the dead. Because God has given me a promise. Someone hear the word of the Lord today. God has given you grace. But he's waiting on you to respond through faith. It is the gift of God to your life. You say, I hear, but what do I do now? And there's this 
there's this false doctrine that's deceiving people. It's this false doctrine that says, well, the moment you act and you do something, well, that's works and you're not saved by works. Well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. The twisting of Scripture. That's the deception of the enemy. With my sincere apologies to those of you from Selah who've heard this a thousand times and are weary of this analogy. This is a bottle of water. It will quench your thirst. Do you believe that? Do you believe this will quench your thirst? Thank you, Brother Woodson. I think this was for you. Quench your thirst. Now, hear me. You believe that will quench your thirst. You can believe that all day long. If you don't drink it, you're going to stay thirsty. Now, we understand that. But in the spiritual, in the spiritual, the world, the world, not the church, not the church, not not his church. The world, the spirit of this world, the God of this world has twisted the word of God to say, if you just believe water quenches your thirst, your thirst to be quenched. The moment you open that cap and drink it, that's works. You're not saved by works. Now, if I gave every one of you a bottle of water and said, don't drink it, just believe. If I did that, who's the crazy one in the room? My wife says it all the time. But the God of this world has sold the world a bill of goods by taking a couple of scriptures out of the book and taking them out of context and saying, just believe and you'll be saved. Well, they got to tell you the rest of the story. Believe, yes. Then act on what you believe. If you believe water will quench your thirst, then get some and drink it. And your thirst will be quenched. You're saved by grace through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. We stand together today. Would you lift your hands with me to the God of all grace? Now, if you're thinking, oh, we're going to dismiss right now. Thank you. We're going to do that. But lift your hands. And if you're willing to receive of him right now, I believe the spirit of God is willing to impart. He in the name of Jesus, I pray a turning from darkness to light. I pray a turning from the power of Satan to the power of God. And I pray the forgiveness of sin and the healing of the heart and the empowering of the Spirit of God. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Let Him give you the Spirit of grace. 
and then be obedient to the calling of God. Lord, we thank you today for your great grace. We thank you for your word that cannot fail. We thank you for your promises that are yea and amen. We love you because you first loved us. We thank you today. I pray the leading and the guiding of the Spirit upon the people of God. And I pray the continued beckoning and drawing upon every heart in this room until each and every one of us has fully and completely and wholly responded to that which you intend and desire with and through us for the glory of God. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. It is settled. God bless you. Please greet someone today. Thank you for being here. You're dismissed in the beautiful, precious name of Jesus.